This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I'm happy to announce that the Return of the Rat Tour will be picking up some steam. February 2nd in Jacksonville, Florida at the Florida Theater. February 3rd in St. Petersburg, Florida. Uh, February 5th, Orlando, Florida. February 25th, Rockford, Illinois. February 26th, Chicago, Illinois. And Friday, May 6th, over there in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Saturday, May 7th, in Los Angeles, California. Um, what else? That's it, man. I'm excited about it. Rockford, Illinois, home of the Rockford Peaches. We are members of the All-American League. I'd be excited to be over there seeing everybody and doing it right. Those are on sale uh, today on Thursday until 10 p.m. Uh, with the code RATKING. You can go to theovon.com slash tour for tickets. And uh, thank you guys so much for supporting my career. Uh, I'm excited to get over there and bring the new tour to you. Let's go. Today's guest is returning to the show. Uh, he is an attorney, an environmentalist. Uh, his new book, The Real Anthony Fauci, is an Amazon, New York Times, and USA Today uh, number one bestseller. Uh, he's my friend. I'm happy to spend time with him always. Uh, Mr. Robert Kennedy Jr. For me to set that parking brake and let myself all wild shine that light on me. I'll sit and tell you. Yeah, thanks for coming in, man. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, it's really good to see you. Uh, the book, man, I've, I've read as much as I can and listened to as much as I can so far just because it's a lot of information, you know, especially um, information probably isn't probably my top strong suit, but I think it's getting better. But um, what was like the research process like for putting together a book like this? Um. A lot of it was just like reading my emails because I have a listserv with uh, almost 300 doctors and PhDs and PhD scientists on it. And so a lot of the, um, a lot of the kind of the, the current science, if there's a new study that comes out in Lancet or JAMA or any of the, 4,000 journals that are out there. I see it almost immediately. Okay. And then I see it discussed um, by people who are highly critical and know how to read science critically. So I can see them arguing with each other and criticizing the study and finding its weaknesses and all that kind of stuff. And it allows me to kind of make better evaluations of it. But, you know, I've known Fauci for a long time. Okay. And I, um, 
and I also have a peculiar insight into the phenomena of agency capture, and that is the dynamic by which environmental agencies and public health agencies become sock puppets of the industries that are supposed to regulate. It happens with every agency. So I happens with everything. It happens with all of them, whether it's the SEC or the FDA or, you know, the, ACC. Any, yeah, any of the three-letter agencies. Ultimately, over time, the industry figures out how to infiltrate them, how to control the senators and the congressmen that write their budgets, how to get control of that agency because it's so important for their profit ambitions. Right. And so I probably brought over 500 lawsuits as an environmental lawyer, mainly against polluters who are discharging into the environment, into the air or water, whatever. But probably during the 38 years that I was doing that, probably 20% of my lawsuits were against the EPA or the state environmental agencies for issuing these kind of sweetheart illegal permits. Because they get compromised also, you're saying? Because they get compromised. So I was used to that dynamic. Right. God, it's kind of be hard to navigate. Uh, yeah, of seeing the agency that's supposed to be my friend but is actually my enemy you know, oh. on these environmental issues. Oh, I was accustomed to that, but... That dynamic is particularly acute. It's really on steroids in the public health agencies because there are these unprecedented entanglements, financial entanglements. For example, FDA gets 45% of its annual budget from pharmaceutical companies. So they're really, you know, there's really no, it's kind of a seamless wow. subsidiary of the industry. And it's really... It's agency capture on steroids. So the FDA is funded mostly by pharmaceutical companies. About half of their money comes from pharmaceutical companies, and that's because we passed a law in the um, in the nineties that allow actually in the in the early two thousands that allows it's called fast track approval. So the drug companies were complaining that you know these drugs take ten years to get approved. And a lot of the, particularly the Republicans on Capitol Hill who want the agencies to be more industry friendly, they said there ought to be a process where the, where the industry can come in and pay to get a very, very quick approval. And so now... That seems dirty business. It is dirty business. It's, there's a kind of a rational reason for it. It's the agency which said, we simply don't have enough personnel to quickly process these applications. So Congress said, okay, well, we're going to get the industry to give you the money to hire the people to process it. But really what happens is the agency is now being paid right. to do its job by the industry and they become partners and they're no longer a regulatory agency. They're really, you know, their their regulatory mission gets subsumed by these commercial and mercantile, you know, forces. Of course, yeah, business, big business. Yeah. That's big business. And like you're saying, it happens in every aspect. Yeah, and you know... Once advertising and everything comes into anything, it gets gets a little bit polluted. Yeah, and with the COVID, you know, crisis, um, it's, from the beginning, it really, the, the, the 
response to the public health agencies was not a public health response. It was a mercantile response. Yeah. It was how do we get money to these vaccine companies? It wasn't how do we save lives, and particularly with our country. And that's why, you know, our country, we have the worst track record. So we have the highest. With what? Well, we have 4.2% of the world's population, but we had 20% of the COVID deaths. And that's all on Anthony Fauci, right. the, the mismanagement that took place. He basically got rid of early treatment. So 80% of the people who went to hospitals should never have gone to a hospital. Yeah, it felt like that. This is a regular person. It felt like something strange here that all these people are just hooked up to this thing. They're being hooked up to machines. Well, um, if you went to, let's say if you went to your doctor. Yeah. And you and you have maybe a headache or you lost your sense of taste. It's an early symptom. It's not debilitating. And he gives you a PCR test. And the PCR test says, hey, you have COVID. What does that doctor now do? Here's what he does under Tony Fauci's regimen. He tells you, go home. You're so sick that your lips turn blue because you can't breathe. And go to the hospital, and we're going to put you on a ventilator, which is going to probably kill you. Right. And we're going to give you remdesivir, which is going to probably kill you. But did they know in the beginning that the that they because it felt like um, it felt like they didn't know, like no one knew how severe it was. So at first, maybe they don't know what to do. The doctors, well, right? The thing is, at the very beginning, you can say that, but by April, they knew that hydroxychloroquine worked. Right, and they actually knew much earlier because in two thousand five, NIH. Studies on coronavirus that showed hydroxychloroquine obliterated it. And then in 2013, 2014, Fauci funded studies on MERS and SARS, which are coronaviruses, that again showed that hydroxychloroquine completely destroyed it. Okay, so what was the difference this time whenever they did trials? Well, they, what they, the problem was, and see, the Chinese, it, the pandemic only lasted for two months. Why? Because they were doing early treatment. They were also doing a lot of other stuff, really aggressively locking people up who had COVID, but they were treating them. They were treating them with chloroquine, which is right. hydroxychloroquine plus. They were treating with antibiotics, anti-inflammatories, um, anticoagulants, steroids, monoclonal antibodies, and vitamins. Well, all the things that we know work. That and we, we weren't treating. We weren't doing a lot of we treatment. We were not doing any early treatment. And the reason for that is this. The, Fauci was focused on the vaccines. It was $98 billion enterprise. Wow. And he had to get for that enterprise to work. He had to get them emergency use authorization because the, otherwise the, the pandemic would be over by the time they got their real, you know, permits, their licenses. You had to get them emergency use authorization. It is illegal under federal law to give emergency use authorization for any vaccine if there is an existing drug that has been approved for any purpose that is demonstrated effective against the target disease. Right, and hydroxychloroquine, you said, had been had been yeah. demonstrated effective. It was, and now there's 285 peer-reviewed studies that show that 80% of the people who went to the hospital should not have gone. If they had gotten hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin early, they would not have gone to the hospital and they would not have died. 
But if Tony Fauci recognized that, the entire vaccine enterprise would have collapsed because he yeah. could not have given that. It would have been illegal for him to give it emergency use authorization to any vaccines. So we had to kill those drugs up front. Who who controls the emergency use authorization? He really he does. Because he was in charge of the COVID response. And he's the one who decided Let me move this back. He's the one who decided we're not going to do early treatment. We're going to wait, make sure everybody has to go to the hospital. And we're going to tell everybody, lock yourself up, put the whole country under house arrest, and um, and wait there until we get our vaccines ready. So do you, don't do anything else that helps you. And you're he saying he knew. Did, he never did what, he, what you would want a, America's doctor to do, which is to give a speech to the American public and say, you need to take vitamin D. You need to take zinc. You need to lose some weight, right? Because the, it's the obese people who are going to die. You need to get outside yeah. and get exercise. You need to build your immune system. When he was at, eighty percent of the people who died from COVID were vitamin D deficient. Wow. We know that vitamin D completely it it destroys COVID. Mm-hmm. There's a study that came out three weeks ago that said if people, anybody who had fifty Fifty, what they call you, it's nanoliters per deciliter mm. of, of vitamin D in their blood, did not get COVID, and it said theoretically, hypothetically, you could have completely eliminated COVID deaths by making sure people had ad- adequate vitamin D. Yeah, but we never heard that the sunshine. I, and people have known that for years. We know zinc works against common colds. Yeah, it we did seem interesting. There was works. no, like, okay, these are things you can do to help prevent yourself from COVID. Everything was just... Wait till you got the vaccine. Put a mask on. That's a good point. Social distance. Lock yourself in the house. Well, even also the weird thing of if people got it, that they sent them back home, like, just go home and be in a room at your house. That was weird to me. It's like... Well, if this is so deadly, then why is my friend Brendan, you just told him to go home and be in a separate room than his family who's in this, but not right. to like be in different buildings. Well, but, that, but, and that's the thing. Or they're sending sick people to nursing homes where they're going to kill everybody in the nursing home. Yeah. It's the inverse of everything that you that we knew that you're supposed to do in the pandemic. It's the inverse of everything the Chinese did. The Chinese, if you were sick, they grabbed you, they brought you to a hospital, and they gave you early treatment. They would not let you go home. What Americans were told to do, go home till you get so sick that you're going to die. Oh, yeah. Then go to the hospital. Well, every one of those hospital visits was a super spreader event because that person now is infecting. They're, they're putting maximum viral loads out into the environment. They're infecting their whole family. They're, they're infecting the Uber driver, the DoorDash. They're infecting the people in the hospital, the yeah. people in the ambulance. and Dry cleaner. It's not, what, it's not what you would want to do if you wanted to stop the pandemic. Right. So then my question this, there would be like, um, do you feel like, but did Fauci know this? Did you, do you, so like with the book, are you saying that they knew this in advance? Like they well, knew no. that hydroxychloroquine would help, so they because the book hydro- kind of alleges that they shut down a lot of like the I think it's I don't know if it's over the counter or under counter hydroxychloroquine. Like there's places yes. where it was it was allowed over In the Canada, counter. Canada, France, many other countries, 
the hydroxychloroquine is available or was available over the counter. And at the beginning of January, as soon as they heard coronavirus was circulating, they, they, those countries reclassified it as a poison. But so that you can only get it by prescription. Now, but did Fauci have anything if, to do with that? if you that? look, the countries that didn't do that, mm-hmm. the African countries where hydroxychloroquine is taken every Sunday, it's called Sunday, Sunday in Africa, because everybody takes it on yeah, Sundays for, for malaria prevention. Mm-hmm. And those countries, those countries, the death rate per million population was two, one, two, three, four, five. In our country, 2,200 per million population died from COVID. And I've, in Tanzania, less than one for 2,200. So we had 2,200 times the rate of death as the Tanzanians had. We had 1,000 times the rate of death as the Chinese did. You look at the African countries and nobody's dying. You, and one of the reasons for that is probably that they're all on ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. Do you think they could be under-reporting over there too because there's less yes. like information? Yes, that could be happening, but we're also over-reporting here. Yeah. and But everybody agrees that those countries have done better than us. Right. We don't, you know, you make a good point. We don't know the, there's been such sloppy, haphazard reporting that we really don't know what happened in our country. I mean, even CDC says that only 6% of the Americans who died from COVID had only COVID. That the average number of comorbidities in the other people who died in 94% was uh, 3.8 comorbidities, potentially fatal comorbidities. So we don't know whether they died with COVID or whether they, they died of COVID. Okay. And we'll never know that. Do you, do, do you believe that they knew before? Like, did they know like that the virus was coming? Or did was this a su- like a surprise thing that happened and then they, I say they, but like the... You know, I guess who am I even trying to say? Like, because I know the book kind of the book talks about how, like, big pharma, basically pharmaceutical companies, um, and like, like fancy rich people, basically, I guess, or powerful people, kind of like cannibalized the hydroxychloroquine thing. I don't know if cannibalized is the word, but like tried to sink it. Like there was a test that they did, like European test study or something, where they used too much. Um, yeah, to show so, the trials that it didn't work. Yes. So what happened? Like, so, how'd they get us to believe that hydroxychloroquine didn't work? They, what they did was Bill Gates funded these three studies, uh, the Solidarity Study, each groups of studies with thousands of people. Solidarity Study, Recovery Study, and Remap Study. And in those studies... They studied hydroxychloroquine, supposedly, but what they really did, hydroxychloroquine only works if you give it to people in the first 10 days after infections or first symptoms. Okay. If you give it to them once in their hospital, the disease has changed at that point, and and it's not very effective. Oh, shifter. So they only gave it to people who were hospitalized in order to discredit it. And then they gave people three or four or five times the normal dose. They were giving them lethal doses, and they were killing people. And in fact, the researchers that did the studies in Brazil killed, I think, 29 out of 41 people who were in the study. They're elderly people. Oh. 
they always and they're currently they're currently being prosecuted for homicide really by the Brazilian prosecutors, but that's how they were able to persuade the world that hydroxychloroquine is dangerous. They were giving them doses of hydroxychloroquine that they knew were going to kill people. So, but then, well, wouldn't they be brought up on charges? Wouldn't they be like, um, in you Brazil, know. they are being brought up on charges. So, just the just just the testing facility, but not it wouldn't go up to Gates. In fact, it wouldn't go up higher than that. Well, if you. You know, if you read in my book, there's an interview with one of the researchers who was being funded by Gates. Mm -hmm. And he's talking to a very famous scientist called Tess Laurie, and this is in the first chapter of the book. She's a researcher for the WHO. She's a contract scientist who does clinical trials for the WHO, and she was doing a meta-review, which is a review of all the literature on hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. Mm -hmm. And she was talking to a scientist who was clearly on the take. And mm. she was saying to him, we are looking at the same studies, and you know this drug works. So why are you not telling the truth about it? And he's saying, I'm being pressured not to. Wow. Three days before he issued his study, Gates donated $40 million to his university. Mm. And the and it was Gates' uh, organization that was funding that study, and clearly Gates had a strong interest in killing ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine, because Gates has invested in all these. You know, Gates had invested billions and billions of dollars in these vaccines. Right, and the call hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin worked. His enterprise would have. Been torpedoed. been spoiled. Yeah, because the the HQL or whatever is that HQL is that what they call it? HCQ. H H. Hydroxychloroquine. Yeah, hydroxychloroquine. Yeah. It's like ten bucks a dose or something, right? It's not super expensive it's like to put 30 together. Thirty cents a dose. Oh damn, they cheap. It's it thirty up. cents a pill. I got screwed then. I freaking paid it. Up. <laughs> yeah, the batch I bought is a little spicier than that. But um, but so but so. But why would why would they do it? It was just to it was, they and the remdesivir is three thousand dollars, right? And then of course the vaccines, which don't work, you know, are making even more than that. They're, I mean, not more per dose, but they're making you know huge amounts of money. Well, let's stick in the space right now where it's like, uh, so the so they they tried to create articles and stuff that. Dis and trials that dissuaded people from using the hydroxychloroquine. There's a lot of that about that in the book. Yeah. Um, and the information, because I would see stuff like you would see stuff come up sometimes on social media like this, and you know, oh, what if this works? You know, or people are having effect effectiveness with this, and it would always be shut down, right? It would be like um, either just lambasted by just the the masses, uh, or it would be like. Um, uh, scrapped from platforms, like scrubbed out of platforms, right? Like you saw this sometimes with information. Um, how do they, how would the people who are creating this this plan, basically, uh, to get the this vaccine through, how would they also be able to get people to then halt any information that's coming out that's contradictory? Because there's just so many people that can put out information, you know? Yeah, and, you know, what I would say is we ought to have free speech, is that, you know, if if somebody's telling a lie on the social media, 
if somebody's um, saying something that is not true, that the remedy for that is not shutting them down. Right. The remedy for that is more speech, is being able to show people. Totally. Different, it's, it's, you know, let ideas triumph in the marketplace. Yeah. And not somebody be in charge of, of shutting them down. But very early on in the pandemic, the media and the social, the media is funded by pharma, and they have been doing censorship on pharmaceutical issues for decades. But the social media really, for the first time, started acting as censors. And, you know, many of these companies are deeply tied in with the pharmaceutical industry. Oh. Google has three vaccine companies. Um, Google makes one of those companies. It owns three vaccine companies. Well, Google's uh, parent company is called Verily or Alphabet. And that company is so... It, it Google has sister companies yeah. that are making vaccines. They oh, make flu vaccines. They make women are always vaccines. up to something. Yeah, yeah. Um, Zuckerberg has about a billion dollars invested in vaccines of you know from his private his foundation. So a lot of the big money that are tied into these uh, that are tied into um, tech companies, they also own pharmaceutical companies. And they're tied. They have deals with pharmaceutical companies like Google has a seventy, I think, a seventy-six million dollar deal with GlaxoSmithKline, wow. and they, and you know, they, the, um, they have all kinds of deals with the pharmaceutical company to mine information, health information from their databases, and so they're really kind of part of the pharmaceutical industry. Right. And why is it that that industry has gotten so? How did we let this industry, the pharmaceutical business, get so big? I mean, I see it all the time, like in recovery places and stuff like that. People just – I see some people yeah. that I feel like are alcoholics, and I see some people that are victims of just insane medications. It's like you see people whose lives have just been wrecked by pills that they couldn't combat if they had a million weapons, you know, the power of some of the oxycodons and all of that stuff. Um, how did we let these pharmaceutical companies start to na- – like? control the way um how do we let them like bypass whatever government we had looking out for us or something and and, and how do we let well, this yeah, happen of, does that make one sense of the issues yeah okay good one of the issues is pharmaceutical advertising what they call direct to consumer advertising oh, yeah. so there's only two countries in the world that allow pharmaceutical companies to advertise to the consumers other companies say, no, you can't do advertising. If you want a drug, go to your doctor, and he will tell you. In our country in 1997, we changed the rule so that allow pharmaceutical companies to advertise on TV. Oh. So in 2017, I went to the, um, to the uh, president of Fox News, who was a guy called Roger Ailes. Oh, yeah, I remember him. A very famous guy. And he's dead, huh? He, yeah, he died. But when I was 19 yeah. years old, I spent three months with him in a tent in East Africa. Oh, and I had this weird relationship because he was like, for me, you know, politically, he was like Darth Vader. But we had a personal friendship and we both enjoyed each other. And he was. Very, very kind to me. You know, I was doing environmental stuff, and Fox News doesn't like the environment too much, but he would make sure that his, that the, 
shows on Fox News would always let me on to at least talk about my side of the story. Mm -hmm. And I went to him, I think around 2018, I went to him with a movie that we had just made about mercury and vaccines. And he had a child who had been, that he suspected was vaccine injured. Mm. He was very sympathetic to this movie and he saw it, he watched it, he believed it. But he said, I cannot let you go onto my network to talk about it. And he said, if any of my hosts allowed you onto their show, I would have to fire them. And if I didn't, I would hurry here from Rupert, meaning Rupert Murdoch, within 10 minutes. And he said to me, during non-election years, we get Fox News for its evening news that's up to 70% of its revenues from from pharmaceutical companies. Oh, oh, and if you look, and he said... That's the banker. Typically, there's 22 ads on a on an evening news show, and typically about 17 of those are pharmaceutical yeah. ads. So those companies are not just using that as a platform to promote their products. They are dictating content on that news show. And that's why Anderson Cooper makes $12 million a year. $10 million of that is coming from Pfizer, typically. Yeah. And he knows who he's working for. And that's why, you know, he's always promoting flu shots and vaccines and medications and all of this and telling you, you need to lock down, you need to do what the pharma tells you to do. And meanwhile, they locked us all down. They put us, you know, they induced this oh. this condition called Stockholm Syndrome where Americans are living in terror. They become grateful to their captors, and they believe that the only way to return to normal and to, you know, to survive is to is total compliance to the, you know, to their captors. And that's what we're kind of dealing with now in our country. Why uh, aren't there more people who try to stay or who are trying to speak out against this i what's what's interesting so much about about the book so far that i've read is um just how many it resonates with like these really like fears and kind of questions i've had about this whole thing like a lot of it hasn't passed like some of the smell tests for me ironically just i've just never felt comfortable with some of the ways some of this has been handled like i've witnessed friends like i've had six friends that overdosed in the past two years yeah and they're dead well, you and right? i both know a lot of people and yeah know. And if just inner dead, like, and you know, like they didn't die of COVID, they died because they couldn't get into, reco- there, there are no recovery rooms, there's no meetings, there's no connection of humanity, you know, it's like people, they don't know that somebody cares about them because they're not seeing other humans every day, they're locked away um, because of the mass and stuff. It just seems like, how would there not be more of a just rev- rev- revolt coming out of more people uh, to question this, it feels like? Because of fear disables the part of your brain that does critical thinking. And if you can, you know, this is a, a, this is a lesson, it's one of the alchemies of tyranny. If you, if you are, if you want a totalitarian regime, and, you know, Goering said this at, um, at Nuremberg, he said it's an easy thing for any government to manipulate its people. You just have to get them scared. Tell them there's an enemy, and what better enemy than a germ that can get into everybody's house and kill them, and that you're the only one that compliant, only doing what you're told is going to allow you you to survive. 
And one of the, you know, one of the things that I, I don't know if you've seen this, but in December, in October of 2019, there was there was a pandemic simulation called Event 201, and I write about it in the last chapter of the book. And Event 201 was a group of people who simulated a coronavirus pandemic. Now, remember, this is in October of 2019 in New York City, the Pierre Hotel. And there are a lot of big shots there. And we now know, according to the National Security Agency, that COVID-19 began circulating on September 12th. Damn. Oh, in Wuhan. That's a rough month for us across the board historically then. Well, September 12th, um, what happened is the... The, the NSA, the satellite, and there was chatter all over the internet coming out of Wuhan mm-hmm. of people talking about symptoms that were very much, and also cures from those symptoms. The hospital parking lot, the aerial photograph showed that it, it was full. There were three people in the lab who ended up going to the hospital with COVID symptoms. The, the Chinese government that night at midnight went into the lab they removed 22,000 samples of coronavirus that were public in the lab, and they've never been seen again. They also took all of the public-facing web pages, and they removed documents and papers about gain-of-function studies. And we know this is a fact. This is a fact? Uh, This is what the National Security Agency is saying. They believe that September 12th was the day that it actually began circulating. Okay. A month later, you have in New York City these Bill Gates hosting a coronavirus pandemic simulation. At that, his co-host is Avril Haines, the deputy director of the CIA. What is the CIA doing at a public health forum? They don't do public health. They do coup d'etat. Now Avril Haines is the top spy in America. She is the, and she is the one who hid the torture, the torture tapes from Abu Ghraib you know, during that Mm -hmm. CIA scandal. So that, she now is the head of the National Security Agency, top spy in the country. She's also in charge of the coronavirus response. At the simulation, you have Avril Haines, you have people from all the social media companies, you have people from the pharmaceutical companies, mainly Johnson & Johnson, the biggest one. They do, and you have another guy, peculiar guy, George Gale, who's the head of the Chinese CDC. Oh, man, he's so sneaky. Anybody, so George Gale must have known that this was circulating at that point. By the way, any of your listeners who does not believe what I'm saying can go and look up Event 201. It's still on YouTube. And this was before the pandemic? It was after it started circulating, but none of us knew about it until January. This is after the NSA had said that this had occurred. The the NSA now says, looking back, this this is when it occurs. At that time, they didn't know. So then there was a get-together. The world did not know until around January 3rd. So then there was a big get-together of some— So then they're all together planning, what? here's how we're going to handle a coronavirus pandemic if it happens. Was Fauci there or no? Fauci was not there, but there were people from his agency there. So, and the interesting thing is, 
There was no discussion of public health. Mm. They weren't saying, how are we going to get repurposed medications? How are we going to link 11 million doctors, frontline physicians around the world on a communication grid so that we can quickly figure out what's working, you know, what's working in Bangladesh, what's working in Argentina, what are the best protocols, what are the best repurposed medications that seem effective against Right, like what's already working against this type of thing that we could ask people to get prepared and get on now to help themselves? Well, no, but even when it starts, if a coronavirus pandemic starts, you want to be able to talk to all the doctors who are treating it around the world and find out, because there may be a guy in Argentina, which there was, Dr. Carvalho. Who's who got found, good intel. Who, found, who was giving ivermectin to people. He gave it to 700 frontline healthcare workers, and he gave a placebo to 458. And of the 700 who got it, not one of them got wow. COVID. Of the 400 who didn't got it, 53% got COVID. So he knew that very early on. Mm-hmm. But that wasn't being communicated. And if you were Fauci and really wanted to do a public health response, you'd be connecting all these doctors and mining what is the best intelligence, what's the best way to treat people, how do we avoid and, hospitalizations, how do we avoid deaths. And, and you're saying None they were that. just connecting more of the business side of it. They weren't. The only thing they were doing was they were saying, how do we use a pandemic to clamp down totalitarian controls, to essentially execute a coup d'etat against democracy how do we get rid of the bill of rights oh you think that they brought that well, up in you, this meeting listen I, i'm not no, saying that nobody can, should believe me on anything they should right. go and do the research themselves right. and you go to event 201 and here's what you'll see the fourth simulation that day it took breaks there was a total of four the fourth one is the longest one that whole simulation is how do you get the social media companies to censor dissent, mm. and how specifically do you get them to not talk about the fact that this was a lab-generated virus? They, the George Gao says that, and this is what they're talking about for two hours. This is in October. What was their now, fear that if people thought it was a lab-generated vi- virus? That then they would start pointing fingers At the Chinese. and blaming not only the Chinese, but blaming public health officials okay. who were all funding you know, those studies in Wuhan. Oh, I see. It was not just Fauci who was funding the gain-of-function studies. It was the um, USAID, which is a CIA conduit. It was DTREP, the Defense Threat uh, Reaction Aid Reduction Agency. And it was the Pentagon through DARPA and BARDA. So they were giving hundreds of millions of dollars to develop coronavirus superbugs that could cause pandemics. And they were doing it with the Chinese. So you're saying that the, you you believe that the whole thing was even planned ahead? That- no, I, I'm not saying it was planned ahead. I'm saying, and this is not controversial, we know this was happening as well documented. Okay. They were publishing about it. Okay. So you were publishing they were doing this research there. They were doing research to develop bioweapons. Right. And they were saying, we're doing the research because the same research that we need to do to develop bioweapons, we can also develop vaccines. It was illegal for them to develop bioweapons. I see. Because So they were saying we're doing bioweapons research, but it's clear they were doing... Well, it's we- weird to create a murder to test a prison. That's a weird thing. It's like, <laughs> why would you, you know, train murderers just to test out a prison facility you built? But is it the same people paying to to do the trials that were that own the vaccines? Well, the thing is, Tony Fauci, 
uh, there was an anthrax attack. Oh, damn. On our country in 2001. Oh, yeah, I remember it. I remember. So, and in 1972 or 69, we signed a treaty that said you can't develop bioweapons anymore. Mm -hmm. And so nobody touched them. The CIA was secretly doing it, but the, the Pentagon was not. In 2001, after the anthrax attacks, and the anthrax attacks were blamed on Saddam Hussein, and they were used as justification. To, oh, he's a fat patsy. That guy's a fat. They, they, right. You know what I'm saying? They put right. anything. You pin anything. It later on that turned day. out the FBI's investigation showed that the anthrax had not come from Saddam Hussein. It had come from one of three U.S. Army laboratories. Mm -hmm. Somebody in the military had something to do in the U.S. military with those anthrax attacks. Okay. And what happened is after the anthrax attacks, they use that as an excuse to start developing bioweapons again. Ah. The Pentagon did not want to do it within the Pentagon because they said, because there was a loophole in the treaty that said, you can't develop bioweapons, but you can do dual-use research. Dual-use means research that is bioweapons research, but it also is useful for developing vaccines. Okay. So they began funneling $1.6 billion a year to Tony Fauci to do weapons research because he would be, the Pentagon didn't want to do it in the Pentagon because they said nobody's going to believe that we're doing vaccine research. I see. It would just be too erroneous. Yeah, so they farmed it out to Fauci and they gave him a 68% raise. And where was he at the WHO at that no, time? Oh, he was no? at NIAID. Did he ever work for the WHO? No. Oh, yeah. He, he worked for yeah. 50 years at NIH. But that year, his salary went up 68% from the Pentagon. And today, he's the highest paid person in the federal, federal government. government. That's insane to me. Yeah, but his 70% of his budget is for doing this bioweapons research. That's why he had to keep doing it, even when Obama ordered him to stop in 2014. Wow. That's when he moved it offshore to Wuhan. And they all moved to Wuhan. Because so Obama tried to shut him down. What happened is in 2014, four of his bugs escaped, or three of his bugs escaped from different labs. And 300 scientists petitioned Obama and said, you got to shut down Fauci because he's doing this research. He's going to release a bug that is going to cause a global pandemic. Obama ordered him to stop. He illegally continued to do the worst of these studies at the University of North Carolina with a scientist called Ralph Barrick. And then, but he began funneling huge amounts of money, laundering it through this, you know, this sketchy uh, con man called Peter Dazak, who's a zoologist who was working for the CIA. And he began, and the CIA and DARPA began funding all of this money, $100 million through Dazak to distribute to Chinese military scientists at the Wuhan lab. Okay. To do the studies there. To do the studies. And the purpose of doing the studies is... They say it's for vaccines, but it was really... The Chinese were really open. Say, they said, we're doing bioweapons research. Oh, yeah, they didn't yeah, care. Yeah, Chinese are whatever. But the dude, Americans yeah. were all saying, this is vaccine research. But the Chinese were saying, this is, uh, this oh, is weapons research. Yeah. They'll flick a cigarette right and, into a damn and one of the, baby. One of the really telling studies that Fauci funded at the University of North Carolina was a study that 
called a seam to develop a, what they called a seamless legation process, which was a way of hiding the human tampering. So what they were doing is they were taking coronaviruses and infected bats. Mm-hmm. They were removing the spike protein that could only infect bats. And they were building, inserting a spike protein that was designed to infect humans. They, they used, the way they tested is they, they had humanized mice with human lungs. Mm. So they had bred mice with human lungs, and they were right. testing they these microbes on those mice. And if the mice got sick, they knew humans would get sick because they oh, had an H2 receptor, right? They had human Damn. lungs. And how do you even get a human lung in a mouse? <laughs> With little tiny tweezers. Oh, yeah. Okay. They, um, they bred them. But yeah. So they're over there doing... So, so, what, so what, what Fauci funded, not only was he funding them to switch up the spike protein that only infected bats and switch it for ones that would only infect humans, but then he was developing process for hiding the evidence of human tampering. Mm. That's the last thing that you would want to do if you cared about public health, right. which allows you know malevolent people to conceal the fact that this virus was human-made. Wow. And so it had nothing to do with vaccines. It was about, and he funded it, Ralph Barrick, who he gave, he gave 57 grants to this one scientist. He called it, Barrick calls it his no-seam process. It's a, it's a process where you can, alter it, and then nobody can see it. Mm. He then taught that process to the Chinese military scientist, Xi Xingli. She was the bat lady. And he taught her how to do it. And then for two years, the Chinese went dark. And then we had COVID-19. So do you think that that they that it was created on purpose then and then it got out like what was the do you think that it was created on purpose and then it because they knew that they would be able to because I don't know if it's Fauci but they knew that they would be able to then use the here's the thing in my book I don't do any, any of that kind of speculation right what I show is the facts and then People, I think if you read the facts, you can make up your own mind. About yeah, there's a lot of facts in there. I mean, look, and it, there's so many cited sources. I honestly felt like you were like a guy, like we were playing the game Clue, and you're like in the room. You're like, you're like, I'm in the library with the candlestick. You know, it, it's exactly kind of what it really felt like, the energy coming out of it. There's so but much I'll, information. I'll tell you one of the revelations in the book. Okay. Fauci gave $2.2 million, billion dollars, to this little Cambridge company called Moderna. To, and Gates did too. Gates was pouring money into him to develop an mRNA vaccine. The head of that company is a guy, a French guy, called Stephen Bonsell. The company that built the Wuhan lab was a French company called Biomiro. Part of their contract was to develop what they call a negative air system that keeps airflow from flowing outward. Mm-hmm. It's a very sophisticated... And you need it in these BSL-4 labs, these biosecurity-4 labs. They're the most uh, protected lab, protective labs in the world, secure labs in the world. And it's where they, you need those labs to do these studies. You need a negative airflow system because some of these bugs are going to get into the air. Right. And they could go out. Got to so, keep it indoors. So, they, so he was contracted, Beer Miro, the French company, was contracted to build the 
negative airflow system, but they didn't do it. Mm. The head of that company was Stephen Bansell. Mm. He then goes without building that system. So he has a good idea that these bugs are going to escape. Damn, that's a dark he art. He goes, and he becomes the head of, uh, of, uh, of Moderna, and which Fauci is funding. And in March of 2019, so this is five months before the, you know, the escape, he goes back, he's been denied a patent for his mRNA vaccine. He goes back and reapplies to the U.S. Patent Office for the patent. And he, in the patent application, he says, there is an urgency that you give this patent to me and process this immediately because of the chance that of an accidental or a deliberate release of a laboratory-generated virus that this vaccine is the only thing that it will cure it. Wouldn't the researcher know that he has the ability to... Oh, we, you know, we have his patent application, and right. it says that in there. Wow. Damn. Oh, man, it's a lot to digest. Well, I'm very impressed that you made an effort at least to read it. Yeah, I yeah. think I'm, I'm maybe, I, I think I'm maybe almost, ha I'm, I could possibly be halfway through. Um, there's parts where you talk about, uh, and this was something that I heard spoken about a lot, that there were, uh, that doctors or facilities got more money if there was a COVID death than if it was a regular death. Yeah. Is that true or not? Yes. Okay. And, you know, the, the hospital systems were heavily incentivized to classify um, every death they could as a COVID death. So even people who came in with car accidents, we know yeah. this from a lot of whistleblowers, were if they could get a positive PCR test, they were given remdesivir, they would put oftentimes on intubation because they got $39,000 for doing those procedures on they did. And if it was a COVID death and they coded it COVID, even if the person didn't die of COVID, he just had COVID in his blood, they got a lot more money. So that was, it's one of the things that really confuses the data that we have. And, you know, we don't have any good data and that's one of the problems. But let me let me just talk talk for a second about the Pfizer study because everybody is taking the Pfizer vaccine. It's the only one that has approval. Okay. The Pfizer vaccine study, the trial from the beginning, we knew it was going to be rushed. Tony Fauci promised us it's going to be completely transparent, and we're going to get four year studies. So we're going to know. You need long studies when you study medications. Oh, anything. Dude, it takes four like, years to get to college. you got to be four years to be a, a ba you know, a, ba a banker. Yeah, I mean, the, because there's a, a lot of one. injuries that come from medications, but particularly from vaccines. Yeah. That have long diagnostic horizons, or they have no long incubation period, so you won't see them for, in six months. You, you, they're cancers, autoimmune diseases, seizures, neurodevelopmental diseases. Of course. You will not see for in a six-month period. And also... What they call antibody-dependent enhancement, which coronavirus are notorious about. That if you get a vaccine, in all the previous experiments with coronavirus vaccines, the people who got the vaccine and the animals who got the vaccine actually got sicker mm. when the coronavirus came back around, when they were exposed to wild coronavirus. Damn and it. you won't know that until you have a long-term study. Right. Oh, what did he do? Six months into this study, he declared it over. Who did, Fauci? Yeah. 
he unblinded it, which means he told all the people in the placebo group, you're in the placebo group. Oh, yeah. It's like that and show, he gave uh, the vaccine to everybody in the placebo group. Yeah, so he love. erased the placebo group, which means we have no way ever to have long-term ideas about— Oh, uh, based on that study, there's no way to know long-term— No, because there, there's, it was unblinded, and everybody in the placebo <laughs> group was given the vaccine. Is that true? Yes. Then they took— <laughs> That's crazy. Well, let, me, let me tell you the rest of this. And they took the data from that six months. This shit sounds like clown paste that they're shooting into people, man. I mean, it's just, that sounds crazy. And they took the data for that six months, and they brought it to FDA, and FDA gave them a license. What did that data show? Here's what it showed. There's one graph that's called S4. You can see it. It's in my book in the first chapter. And this, this graph is the most critical graph because it is the graph for all-cause mortality. In other words, when you look at the vaccine group and you look at the placebo group, where, who, which of those groups had more people alive at the end of the study, had more people dead at the end of the study? And here's what it says. There were roughly 22,000 people in the vaccine group, mm -hmm. 22,000 people in the placebo group. At the end of six months, this is what their own data show, one person in the vaccine group of those 22,000 died from COVID. In the placebo group, two people died from COVID. That allowed Pfizer to tell FDA and the American public the vaccine is 100% effective because two is 100% of one. So most Americans, when they hear the vaccine is 100% effective, oh, yeah. They think if I get the vaccine, I'm 100% not going to die of COVID. Well, why wouldn't more information come out? Like other people be screaming that this seems like kind of a ridiculous thing. Why does it seem like? Because the press is all censored. I mean, what's when you air this show, you're going to get killed. Oh, you're we're scared. <laughs> yeah, we're scared. You'll probably be off the air. I don't even. We could be. You might have to take it down. But let me just finish what happened. So. So what it really most Americans think, I 100% won't die of this if I get the vaccine, but that's not what it means. What it means is they have to give 22,000 vaccines to save one life from COVID. Now, if you're going to give those 22,000 vaccines, you better make sure that the vaccine is not going to kill even one person because if it does, right. it's now cancel out the entire benefits. Oh, well, here's what their data show. And again, this is table S4. I urge people to go to it. In the vaccine group, 20 people died of the 22,000 over six months. In the placebo group, only 14 people died. So what that suggests is that if you take the vaccine, you're 48% more likely to die over the next six months than if you don't. How are they dying? Mainly heart attacks. So in the vaccine group, five people died of heart attacks. In the placebo group, only one. Mm -hmm. What that means, if you get the vaccine, you have a 500% greater chance of getting a heart attack than if you don't. And Based on are, that time period of that study. Yeah, and the study is probably a crap study that doesn't really mean anything because there were too few people in it. Robert Malone, who invented the mRNA vaccine, told me this week, he said, that study means nothing. They need it. They can't do a study with 22,000 people. It sounds like a lot. They needed 400,000. They're going to give this to 350 million people. Yeah. 
He needed 400,000 people in the study to make any real predictions. So these predictions probably aren't real, but they're stuck with them because they're the ones who said we're only going to put 22,000 people in the study. And what they show, what their study shows is that for every life that they saved from COVID, they killed four people from heart attacks. Wow. We got a question that came in actually right here from a guy uh, for you, Bobby. That's right. Is on. this live? This is not live. None okay. of this is live, and this question isn't live. This is yeah, because I want to make sure you have an option of not playing this podcast video. No, I don't. I think we're okay. Yeah, I mean, we. You know, I'm genuinely curious, and I think I'm I, worried about your career deal. That's why. Well, the good. I feel like I own my own career until, like, I don't need a Hollywood career. You know. But it's definitely I worry about like my career of like I guess maybe like YouTube canceling us or people saying that we can't do this anymore. You know yeah. that's the scary part. Is this on YouTube? Yeah, this will be on YouTube. So, but our last one stayed up. Okay, well let's make a bet. I'll bet you five bucks. Well, <laughs> inflation's <laughs> happening a lot. Let's make it ten. <laughs> All right, okay. deal. We got a good question right here from somebody that came in. Yeah. Hey Theo, hey Mr. Kennedy, um, I'm here with a question for y'all. Um, so I got the COVID vaccine. Uh, I needed to to in order to keep my job. I live in the city of Philadelphia, and uh, is uh, they're pretty gung ho about making sure everybody's vaccinated. But anyway, I got it, and I ended up having uh, myocarditis, like developing heart pain and a serious reaction as a result of it. Um, and I don't really know what to do. I don't have good health insurance or anything like that. I can't really uh, spend a lot of money to get to the bottom of it. Um, and all we hear in the news is like, oh, it's so rare for people to have these effects from it. But like, we don't hear much at all about what to do if you are one of the people that ended up having one of these uh, side effects from the vaccine. So. I was wondering if Mr. Kennedy here has any advice on uh, what to do if you do get that uh, that pumped up uh, ticker, and uh, how to help it, how to help deflate that bitch. Um, Dang, baby. Uh, or, I mean, that person, you know. I mean, that yeah. guy could also had a stricken a strong carbonara sauce from a cousin or something that freaking amped his kicker up. But um, but well, I think that's and that's myocarditis is a really serious disease. I mean, and oh yeah, damn. I. I mean, really serious. Fifty percent of the people with my, who are diagnosed with myocarditis either die or require a heart transplant within five years. So a lot of these, you know, the, the CDC is telling people, well, you know, these are mainly mild cases. There's no such thing as a mild case. Yeah. You, you know, it, what that means is they discharge you from the hospital. And you go home and you have uh, six months of bed rest. And a lot of the people who are most susceptible to it are athletes. Um, there is a very, very strong Hong Kong study that came out a couple of weeks ago that says that for young per people, one in every 2,700 is getting myocarditis. That is huge, particularly because— well, We don't know if it's vaccine-related. No, from the vaccine. that are reporting— Myocarditis from the vaccine. Kids don't have heart attacks. Kids don't have strokes. Yeah. You know, they're, myocarditis, these athletes you're watching every day, literally two a day now, athletes are collapsing on playing fields. And it's from myocarditis and it's from the vaccines. And there's no question about that. It, and that's what this study shows. 
one in 2,700 people are getting myocarditis. Oh, they, for, for kids, there are two studies out. For, you know, they're now going to give this to children. And the younger you are, the more likely you are to get myocarditis from the vaccine. Jesus. What the Lancet study showed is that they were not able to find a single healthy child in America that died from COVID. There's a, there, are, there are children who died, but there are people very obese or a lot of comorbidities. They couldn't find any healthy ch- children who died. And the Germany just released a study of its database, and very, very similar. They found the death rate in healthy children was three per million. Okay. So three per million, and under five, zero. Literally zero. Not one kid found it who, is, who died from COVID. If the death rate is three per million, but one in every 2,700 people are getting myocarditis. That means you have 100 times greater chance for every one person that they're saving from COVID, there are 100 people getting myocarditis. What about this? Do Couldn't it... But but you you're not an you're not are you you're not anti you're an anti vaccination no. over here. No, I'm so not. So the vaccination absolutely. is does it help people, or do the, we just not know the long term what's going to happen? I, I don't think anybody. First of all, the vaccine. What Tony Fauci said the vaccine was going to do, and Bill Gates, was that it was going to prevent transmission and prevent hospitalization and prevent you from getting the disease, and it doesn't do any of those. Yeah. It does not prevent transmission. A vaccinated person, according to the best science we have now, is a—and Tony Fauci has said this, and I—if you need it, I'll send you the recording, and you can put it in here. Okay. Um, he even says that you're equally likely to transmit the disease if you were vaccinated or unvaccinated. There's, well, yeah, it feels hella confusing. I mean, people are still out to wear masks. You don't have to wear masks. It's this. Right. It's, uh, and it's people, like, and there's no, you know, people originally were saying that you're more likely to get a severe disease. But when you look at the, the one database that seems most reliable is the British, the UK databases. And what those databases are showing is that the people who get COVID, who get the vaccine, are more likely to be hospitalized. That's what their data is showing. Okay. Those data may be skewed in some way. They may not be um, completely reliable, but it is the best database in the world. And it's showing, it's not showing that the vaccine will avoid hospitalization or death. We're not seeing that. But why wouldn't like uh, Fauci and Gates and some of these big pocketed dogs have uh, have a say so in that kind of study coming out? Like why wouldn't well, you they? mean of the NHS data? That's raw data. That is data that that you know it for many many years. The British have been publishing their mortality and morbidity data directly from the hospital, directly from the corners, directly from the health agency. So anybody can look at that. And when you look at that and you can, you can compare on that the hospitalized people who were vaccinated to the hospitalized people who are unvaccinated, and what you will see is that the that the front you you're actually more likely to end up in a hospital on by that data. Okay. If you got the vaccine, then if you did not. Right. And that's still early in data, too. We still need a longer it's time. It's still early, and we don't, you know. And also, 
there may be the data could be the data could be skewed, and let me tell you how, so that people can understand. Um, you could argue is that the people who were early vaccinated mm-hmm. were less likely to get COVID early, and when the vaccine wears off, now there's more of that subset who are getting sick and getting hospitalized than people who are unvaccinated. Okay. Um, by percentage. So the, so we don't know the answer to that. I doubt that that's really what's happening, but, you know, we don't know. How did, um have have there been doctors that have come out and supported your book as well? Or is there yeah, like... I mean, there's a list of hundreds of doctors. I know there's tons the of data from doctors in there. Yeah, um, but if you look at the beginning of the book, it's there are a couple of pages of just very, very tiny type of all the doctors who are you know, who are opposing the Tony Fauci narrative. Um, And do you feel like, has the book been, uh, have you been supported by any mainstream media outlets? Do you feel like it's growing in some senses? Do you feel like it's... The book has been completely boycotted by the media. But the the sales have been amazing. We've been, you know, at the top of the bestseller list. I mean, the New York Times won't put us number one, even though... Even if you were number one, Well, yeah. we are number one, because we know how many... Six for example, about you know, I think in the first week, we sold 93,000 copies. Will Smith uh, sold 85,000. And he's the top. I'm number seven. And I sold more of my books than all the other ones. But... They still put me seven because I just think they don't, you know, they do not want to give me the publicity of being number one. The Wall Street Journal put me number one. The USA Today, which is the hardest one because they combine all the books in the world, including fiction and nonfiction together. So that's the hardest one to be number one and number one there. Publishers Weekly, number one. Amazon, number one, number two and number three, day after day after day. And number one for the weeks. Yeah, I mean, I've had a lot of people since you were coming on who've certainly reached out to me and uh, applauded the fact that we we're just going to talk about it. Um, we've had another good question that came in here. Let's get uh, let's get to one of these. What's up, Theo? This is Adam. Um, hello, Mr. Kennedy. Uh, congratulations, your book's number three on Amazon right now. I just checked it. Uh, I had a question in your book. In the back, you had uh, a list of arbitrary decrees. And I thought it was very interesting. I was going to get your opinion on uh, New York's uh, recent decree from de Blasio about vaccination across the whole city, even for private businesses. Thanks. Uh, we actually, you know, um, well, it, it, I mean, I've already made the case that I, if a vaccine is not preventing transmission, what is the justification right. for mandating that somebody take it? Yeah, you know, I mean, well, listen, we signed the Nuremberg. I agree. That's I've, I've long. That's my big question. Why do people have? It yeah. doesn't seem deadly enough for people to have. Well, to. but even if it's deadly, I mean, it's my choice. I, nobody can make me take a medicine for my own good. Right. And you know, there's a there's a argument. If me getting the vaccine is going to prevent other people from getting the vaccine, there's an argument that the state has the right to force me to take the vaccine, but. There's no that that argument doesn't exist because if you get the vaccine, you're equally likely to transmit the disease. What right. it, and you know, by the way, we signed the Nuremberg Protocol. We a lot of Americans died so that we could sign 
the treaty at the end of the war and the Nuremberg Protocols as we will never again, no country who's a signature, will ever again force individuals to take an experimental product without, without their informed consent. No form of coercion is, is, is legal. And the, all of the vaccines that are available in this country now are experimental. They're all EUA. There's not one vaccine that is now available in the United States that's been approved. Mm. The Pfizer vaccine, one version of it, the Comirnaty vaccine, is approved, but it's not available in the United States. Oh, de Blasio is ordering people to participate in a medical experiment. And that, you know, is not something we do in America. Yeah. Why has it become that? How did we get from the point where it feels like these days, like the government is more like uh, Facebook and CNN and Twitter. These are the judge and the jury of everything, as opposed to like, um, you know, human beings. And I mean, it's still human beings, but as opposed to like an actual government, as opposed to like, um, um, yeah, it I almost mean, seems like it's a, the government's like a shell company now for like um, for tech. You know, like I always uh, say, like tech is the new fossil fuel. That's what I feel like a little bit. It's like this. It has such a power over us. Like, how did we kind of let that happen? Was it just money that did it? Yeah, I mean, and am I crazy? No, I think that's right. And, you know, what we've seen this year is really pretty extraordinary to you. It's the, the it is the abolition of all of our Bill of Rights. So they started out with with by controlling those tech companies. They were able to effectively get rid of freedom of speech and freedom of expression. Yeah. Madison and Adams and Jefferson said that we put freedom of speech into the First Amendment because all of the other rights are dependent on it. If a government can control, can stop criticism or dissent, it has a license to commit any kind of atrocity. So as soon as they got rid of freedom of speech, they went after the other half of the First Amendment, which is freedom of religion and worship. It closed all the churches in our country for a year with no public hearing, no debate, no, you know, science shown. They then went after property rights. They controlled it. They, they shut down a million businesses yeah. with oh, no insane. due process, no just compensation. Then they went after jury trials. You cannot sue. The, the Sixth and Seventh Amendments say this. No American shall be denied the right of a trial of a jury of his before a jury of his peers for any case or controversy exceeding twenty five dollars in value. Well, that's all it says. There's no pandemic exception. Right. Uh, today, jury trials are going in our country for any, if a vaccine company or pharmaceutical company injures you, you cannot sue them, no matter how egregious your really? injury, no matter how negligent they were, no matter how reckless they are, you cannot sue them. So, if twenty million people die. F- 15 years from now from the vaccine, there can't be a class action suit. No. Wow. You, you cannot sue them. There's wow. no discovery. There's no, no we, we got to make a vaccine, bro. <laughs> yeah. So uh, We need to make a vaccine, baby. We need to right. fire up the stove. The vaccine will not give you immunity, but it gives the company that made it immunity that, you know, that's from insane. liability. That's crazy. So that's what's happening. And then, 
you know, now the, the, the prohibitions against warrantless searches and seizures are gone. And they're, you know, they're doing, you have to show your vaccine cards and, you know, the, yeah, your private medical information to people. There's track and trace surveillance. Well, it's cost me my value. It's starting to cost me. And this is just my feeling. And I'm obviously a very sensitive person, but it's costing me a lot of what I feel like my whole purposes of being human are. Um, and so it starts to make me feel like there's no real value in me being human. And so I think if you are already predisposed to ideas like that in your head and kind of negative self-thought, then and I nihilism. Think, nihilism? No, yeah. nihilism? Yeah. It was just I might have misdone it. But <laughs> I know what you're saying. N-I-H-I-L-I-S-M? Yeah. Yeah. Nihilism. I didn't know that was it. But yeah, it's like if I'm already predisposed, then that's where I see a lot of my friends who are perishing. You know, it's like uh, because well, it's you just— know, the, the, uh, the the CDC says that one out of every four people under 20 contemplated suicide this year. Yeah. The suicide rates are off the chart. The drug overdose, the alcoholism, the child, child abuse is down. Why? Oh, because child 90% of child abuse was reported by the schools. And the schools, schools are, are closed. closed. Those kids are now home mm. with their abusers. Beat them. And uh, not really, but yeah, it says there's no way to yeah, there's no way to report it. No, and you know all of these other metrics of of what you know of people's ideas of community, their connections to their family, their connection to the community have been obliterated this year. And no, there was no attention. That's when a he big part lockdown. of lockdown. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't say. The, the jail, you know, what there are studies out there. What happens when you unemploy people? And there is a famous study from 1982. It says, and that one we had half the population, so double all these numbers. That every point in unemployment caused 37,000 excess deaths, heart attacks, stress, suicides, etc. 3,300 excess imprisonments, 4,000 excess admissions to mental hospitals. That's what unemployment does. And they just went and gave us 20% unemployment overnight. Yeah. I remember we had a rat, not a rat, but we had like a mouse, like a long mouse when I was growing up. And if we took his wheel out of there, literally like a week later, you could see how defunct he was, you know? Yeah. Just because he just had nothing to do. Um, uh, why, why, but here's a question I have. So if, if, if Farmer was like being able to manage all of this with power and money and influence, right? Uh, you know, or manage at least like the information that was getting out um, and suppressing other information because they, they uh, advertised enough or were the biggest supporter of different um, outlets why weren't other businesses, why weren't it like businesses like Hilton or Hardy's, Dickies, uh, you know, Carnival Cruisons? How weren't there other big businesses that were lobbying like in the other way, like against this? Like this is, you know, other companies with big money. Why weren't they able to lobby and say this is ridiculous? Yeah, I think. You know what I'm saying? Like like companies that would, uh, it's would a suffer. Really, that is a really good question. But I, I think one of the things they did for those companies is they bought them all off. You know, they paid the airlines and they paid the, the cruise lines. And, um, you know, they, um, you know, they were getting, they printed money. They're, you know, they're billing the next 10 generations and they're, they're keeping the corporations rich. And I think, you know, a lot of those businesses didn't want to put their heads up over the parapet. Yeah. 
anybody who sticks their head up and says, you know, this is wrong, they're, uh, you know, what's going to come down on them is uh, makes it so that they're, they're too, too scared. So your family in the past could have been a victim of espionage. Yeah. Um, do you think that that is something that fuels your your? I don't know if it, if it motivates me. I think, I mean, really, I stumbled into this issue because these, you know, I was suing um, cement kilns and coal burning power plants for putting mercury in fish. There was a, you're the environmentalist. The environment was yeah. on the outside, and now they're going, they're, they're, they've come yeah. inside of us. And there was a group of women who had children who were, had intellectual disabilities, and they believed that their kids— I talking about that. Had um, were vaccine injured, and they basically forced me to read a bunch of scientific studies. And when I read them, I got pissed off, and that brought me down the rabbit hole. But um, you know, I've written a couple of books mm-hmm. and many articles about um, my about what happened to my family, and my family had a six-year battle with the CIA. I'm very, very familiar with, um, you know, with all of that uh, intrigue and and the involvement in the intelligence agencies in my uncle's death and in my father's death. So because I'm attuned to that, I also am, I have an open mind about, you know, and an ability kind of to, to look and say, why are they involved with public health? Right. Why are these agencies... CIA right. was involved in 73 coup d'etats between 1947 and 2000. One third of the countries in the world, they've never done public health. Yeah. You know why are they now deeply involved in public health? And that yeah. event to a one. That's interesting. As I show in my book, was not one off. They were doing that drill year after year after year, and each one of them, the CIA, was involved, and they were simulating pandemics again and again and again, beginning in 2000, anthrax, smallpox, coronavirus, flu, and every one of them, the CIA, was involved. Why is that? Yeah, I mean, it's it's that's the thing. It's like there's a lot of things that I re- get to certain, get the end of certain chapters, into certain paragraphs, and it's like, man, why is that? Yeah. I think that's the number one takeaway that I have in, in reading as much of this as I have so far. Like, man, why is that? Um, yeah, why is this chef over here teaching rollerblading? You know what I'm saying? Like, why is this <laughs> business over here with this business? Um, do you worry about, like, uh, do you feel like you have any lawsuit worries with this book or no? Wasn't? No. Yeah. I mean, truth is defense to libel. And everything in the book is true. Yeah. I mean, there may be somebody will find a mistake, but I have 2,200 footnotes in there with references. So every statement, factual statement in that book, I have a reference for, a yeah. source for. that. Any, and we have a QR code that allows, which has never been done before in a book, that allows anybody who reads this book to go to the references and view them on their cell phone. Oh, wow. Do you think we've become too lazy as a population? Have we already become too like addicted to this technology and addicted to, the, to w- just because we've definitely something has happened to the human? Um, well, it's, uh, yeah, and the, the, the that problem is that I think we're cooked, man. Listen, the the ambition of every totalitarian regime in human history has been complete control of the population. 
They've never been able to do that before. You can always escape to the hills. You can read books secretly. You can have a radio in your, you know, Anne Frank um, had secret books. She had a, you know, they had a radio in the basement and all this. Today, you can't do that. Today, there's nowhere to hide. Bill Gates said his 65,000 satellites are going to be able to surveil every square foot of the Earth 24 hours a day. They have track and trace surveillance everywhere now. They have, um, in China, they've already deployed software that can read guilt on the human face, they claim. Oh, it's pre-crime. If you feel guilty about it, you know, they can scan a football stadium and pick out the people who look guilty. We're perverts, too. Oh, yeah. The other thing is, you know, what they're doing is these vaccine passports, that's going to completely change our relationship with our rights because right now you have a whole bunch of rights, right? You can go to the bowling alley. You can go out to a sports game. You can hang out with whoever you want to hang out with. You can get on a plane and travel. You can edu- get educated. You can do all of these things. Now, those are rights. Once you get that vaccine passport, that becomes a privilege. That is conditional on your compliance. Mm. So oh, if the vaccine passport says you got to get four boosters a year and you didn't do it, you now can't get in the ball game. You can't get on the airplane. The rights are now conditional. They used to be unconditional. Now they're conditional. And here's where we're going. We're going to digitalize currency. So your you know, social credit will be on that vaccine passport. Your credit scores will be on that vaccine passport. And in Europe, this is one of the things when I went over there you know, two weeks ago and gave speeches about this, about the passports, which they're now imposing. Wow. The passports are not being issued by the health departments, the health ministries. They're being issued by the financial ministry. Why is that? Yeah. Because we're going to digitalize currency. They're going to be able to look at every transaction. They're going to get rid of currency, which we're already doing. It's already hard to find coins. Oh, yeah. You can't even you give somebody a dollar. They don't even know what to do That's anymore. where we're going. We're going to digitalize currency. They're going to be able to to track every single transaction that you have. They're going to be able to tax it. The the financial institutions are going to be able to make money on the friction of every transaction, but they can also do what they call programmable money, which is if you are, for example, if you don't get your vaccine, if you're disobedient, and they say to you, okay, you can't leave your house and you can only shop in grocery stores within one mile of your house, your currency will now only work in those grocery stores. It will not work in a gas station. Wow. So if you don't have a passport, then you can't even buy certain places. Right. Or, they, or you can't travel. You can't. If, they, you, know, you, if, if you live in pa- Pasadena, it can say your, your money will only work in Pasadena. It won't work. You know, it won't let you to drive to Brentwood. They can completely control every movement that you have. You you can't buy gas. You can't buy anything except what they want you to buy. And that level of control is, you know, I think really destructive. And that's where we're going. So what's going to, are people just going to lose, like just tyrants going to take over and just attack the Samsung building? Or like what's going to happen? You know, Well, like, I, I how think. It, how do you rebel listen, then? This is happening in every country in the world. The one place where people are, standing up is um, 
ironically, it's in the red states in America. Yeah. You know, I was in Louisiana yesterday, and I gave a, a speech, a yeah. presentation to um, the, you know, the legislature there, and they voted against the, you know, the mandates to children. And it was Democrats and Republicans voting against it. It was a bipartisan vote. Um, but I think in those, a lot of the states, you go to that state, there's no mass. Same with Florida, same with Texas. People. Yeah, I, I live in Tennessee some, and there's no mass, and it's been fine. Like, that's yeah. the thing. I just don't understand what's going on. Like, Well, Florida I, has the lowest infection rate in the country, and it has the loosest rules. Yeah, so, what, so I don't understand how none of the, the reality of things isn't permeating I don't, some of the smartest people I know yeah, aren't asking the, questions. That's, the that's what's part. blowing my mind. Yeah, Like one of my neighbors, like the smartest dude I know, I'm like, dude, you don't think this, like you, you're the one who always tells me to ask questions and I forget. And now you're like, you're not asking any questions. Like you, and you come back to LA and it's like, there's a lot more mandates and stuff here in strictness, even though I, I feel like it's getting a little looser though. Um, but then you go. You still get hostility from people who, if you ask questions about it. Yeah. You know? Why is there something inside <sighs> of some people where they're just afraid to question, or do you think that they just? Uh, I don't know. Some things for me to. If I saw more people dying around me, you know, and I'm not saying people haven't died, but I don't know one person that's died. You know. Well, people did die, but people are dying the vaccine too. And we're not, you know, there's there's 19,000 people whose death has been reported after vaccination. Now, during the, um, in 1976, when we had the vaccine, the flu vaccine, 46 people died and they pulled the vaccine. Wow. Now, 19,000. And what's, what HHS says is that that system is only capturing 1% of the vaccine injuries. It could be much, much higher than that. And you're seeing a lot of people who are dropping dead of sudden death, who are young people who should not be dying. You read about it every day. Yesterday, the editorial page editor of the Washington Post, you know, died suddenly. And you're seeing that, you know, the sports figures who have dropped dead on the field, you're seeing those, and those guys are not being reported as vaccine injuries. Mm. Oh, you know. Um, but why wouldn't, like, places that are, why wouldn't they be reported as vaccine injuries? And, and, like, why wouldn't we get that information? Like, well, who's going to report it? The, the doctors, you know, first of all, it takes a half hour to do the report. Doctors don't want to do it. And, and the doctors are telling themselves, that's not a vaccine injury. That guy just had a heart attack. You know, they don't want to admit to themselves that it's a vaccine, particularly if they gave the vaccine to the guy. They don't want to say it was an intervention that killed him. Well, that's the problem with the voluntary system. You need a system that is a machine counting system, one that which you can easily do. HHS actually developed one. They look at all the, they know who got it, which vaccine, down to the batch number, and then you do a cluster analysis and saying, are those guys more likely to die? Are they more likely to get diabetes, uh, rheumatoid arthritis, MS, than the people who weren't? You can look at that, and you can do it very quickly, but none of that is being done. All of that kind of research gets blocked. It just blows my mind that, that, that there's no liability for the, for the companies making things because I just feel we've had such a t – it's, it's become obvious for me anyway – 
and it's just me that drug companies don't care about people. You know, like all the people that died of drug overdoses and oxycodone, all those. It's just like it, it just seems real obvious. So I don't know why there's just such an immediate tr- like just a, an it was just this immediate almost like forced close. Everything was just closing and it just seemed like a, everyone was just going to trust suddenly drug companies. That's the part that really, I guess, is always just made me uncomfortable, you know? I mean, I've never trusted anybody. I mean, these are the same companies that gave us the opioid epidemic, That's which kills 56,000 kids a year. And more, more kids every year than died in the entire Vietnam War over 20 years. Yes. And every year, and we know they did it deliberately. The four big vaccine companies in this country, Sanofi, Merck, Pfizer, and Glaxo, have paid $35 billion over the last 10 years in criminal penalties and damages for defrauding regulators, for lying to doctors, for killing hundreds of thousands of Americans. Vioxx, which was Merck's drug, it knew it was going to cause heart attacks and kill people. But I thought they can't be sued for, oh, they can be sued for, they can't yeah. be sued for vaccinations. That's they right. Can be sued for so, but even in the place where they can get sued, their criminal culture is part of who they are. And even though when they know they're going to get caught, they're going to get caught, they still do it. So what happens to that same company when he knows there's no way he'll ever get caught? Because there's no discovery, there's no depositions, there's no document searches. And even if you find out that he killed you, you can't sue him. Do you think Fauci is an evil? Do you think it's evil that's in him? I mean, I mean, are you saying that with this book that he's just an evil guy, or do you think he's compromised? Think, Would anybody have been him? It's just a power, and he's just a he's just the man in the position. Is there uh, darker I mean, forces I, I at, think, at work? Listen, I, we all, as you know, think of ourselves as we we measure ourselves by our intention rather than by our behavior. So I don't know whether he. Um, I don't know how he views himself, but I I'm know that he must believe that it's okay to impose collateral damage on people in order maybe he's convincing himself there's a larger cause. But, you know, I've documented again and again and again how he's with the AZT during the AIDS epidemic, which he knew was poisoning people, killed yeah. 330,000 people, and he knew it was doing that and that it was worthless, and he let it happen. Um, Hannah Arendt, who wrote a lot about the Third Reich, and she was a you know philosopher and writer and Holocaust survivor. She talked about death killers during the Third Reich. There were Damn. people who worked in the, you know, there there were guards in the death camps that were actually killing people, escorting them into gas chambers. And she said the worst of the people or the people who killed from their desks, mm. the people who made these big decisions that involved tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people and signed it and then, you know, signed off on it and then went home and kissed their wife and pet the dog and hugged their children and thought very, very highly of themselves. And I think that's what I think, um, you know, Dr. Fauci is. I think he's a desk killer. And do you think, and how, what, what role does Bill Gates play in it so much? I know you, you mentioned him a lot in the book. Gates um, called Fauci to his home in 2000 and summonsed him to his $187 million mansion on the banks of late Washington up in Seattle. 
and he brought him into the den, and he said, oh, I want to propose a partnership with you. Damn, it's like a damn, uh, what's <laughs> that movie, dude? The Mur, uh, with the Italian guys, you know what I'm talking about? Godfathers. Oh, yeah. God. Um, so he, so you believe that they're just in cahoots? Well, I know they are. And they, what they, but is it just business that they're doing? Do they just think it's just yeah, business? In fact. Do you think that they're thinking like, fact, oh, Michael I'm going to kill Sherman or something, Mike, you know? Michael Spector asked um, Tony Fauci what his favorite line from his favorite movie was. And he said, it's The Godfather. And my favorite line is, it's just business. Mm. And I think that, you know, he really does look at this as a... Um, as a, you know, he's promoting pharmaceutical products. He does not do basic science anymore. He doesn't do the job that he's being hired to do. He develops pharmaceutical products, and he's turned his agency into an incubator for the pharmaceutical company. He creates the products there. He sells them. He he shares patents with the big drug companies and with the universities, and then he gets them through the regulatory process and promotes them. And, you know, during, we've gone, uh, during his 50-year period there, we've gone from being the healthiest population in the world to the sickest. We are literally of the top 79 countries in the world. Are you serious? We have the worst health. We use three times the pharmaceutical drugs of any other nation. We pay the highest prices, and we have the worst health outcomes of the 79 top countries in the world we are the worst and, and he's been in charge the whole time yes and is he the one who writes the checks for research is it his company yeah he gives away uh 7.6 billion dollars a year and him personally he gets to write the check he chooses who gets it he chooses who gets it there's not a board uh, that does it no well he chooses he runs right. that agency with a, a tight hand uh, what he does is he'll develop these drugs within his labs and they farm them out to, you know, what they'll do is in his lab, he has thousands of vials of coronavirus, of dengue virus, of hankavirus, of flu, of, you know, all of the different polio, whatever. And they'll take different combination of molecules and they drip them into that lab culture and see if it kills the virus. If it kills the virus, then they have an antiviral. Yeah. So now they have to see, does it kill the rat? Because mm. if it kills the virus, but it doesn't kill the rat, yeah. now they have a medicine. Then mm. he farms it out to the university, and he gives them money. So the university will will do animal studies, and they'll do phase one studies, which is 100 people, basically. He will give that university, the dean of that department, who is called the principal investigator, fifteen to $20,000 per recruit so that dean is a doctor he's recruiting patients to test this drug he's getting let's say twenty thousand dollars per patient that he recruits to participate in that for that trial the university skims off 50 to 75 percent of that money keeps it so now the university is now partnering with well, then phase two studies in phase three, where they're bringing in ten or twenty thousand people, they now bring Damn. in the drug company, and the drug company gets most of the patent. Tony Fauci could keep some for himself or his agency, or his individuals. Right, the university gets to keep one. The university PI gets to keep it, and then Fauci 
ushers it through the regulatory process. So here's the punchline between 2009 and 2016. There were 240 new drugs that were, that were approved by FDA that came through Tony Fauci's shop. So he is the biggest pharmaceutical Damn. incubator in the world. He's, he's the not, CBS. He's the yeah, top CBS. He's not doing what he's supposed to do, which was trying to figure out where's the autism epidemic coming from? Why do we now have diabetes? I remember and, you talking about this last time we were together. Yeah, we got uh, one question that came in about that actually from a young man. And thank you for your time, Robert. What's up, Mr. Kennedy? I have a question for you. I have a four-year-old autistic son. Uh, I know you've done a little research uh, with vaccines and uh, how it all ties in together. <clears throat> Maybe you could dive into that some. And also, with uh, technology growing uh, rapidly, do you think there's a chance for uh, some normalcy for my boy moving forward in his life? Uh, appreciate your time. Big fan, Theo. Gang, gang. Hey, baby. I guess you kind of answered some of that. Yeah, where is he going from? Like it was in a, they look like Oklahoma or something, huh? Like in an airplane or something. But yeah, he might have been. <laughs> Who knows, man? Probably trying to get off the planet. <laughs> I don't blame him. That's scary down here. Well, I mean, here's what happened in my generation: one in uh, ten thousand, between one and twenty-five hundred. There's a couple different studies that look at the prevalence of autism. Oh yeah, we had and it. people are sixty-seven. So. In my generation, between 1 in 2,500 and 1 in 10,000 people have have autism. Even today, my age, I've never seen anybody with full-blown autism my age. Oh, I know Meaning, a lot of people. You know people who are who are like the quirky uncle or the person who's Asperger's or can't look you in the eye. Yeah, party autism. I'm talking about full-blown autism. People, men who are 6, 7-year-old in diapers Wearing a football oh, helmet, oh. headbanging, nonverbal, non-toilet trained. Uh, That's Alabama fans, basically, is what you're saying, honestly. <laughs> but no, I know what you're saying, sorry. Uh, you know, stimming, toe-walking. Yeah. I've never seen somebody like that. And I have been around intellectual disabilities my whole life. My family started Special Olympics, Best Bodies, et cetera. Never seen anybody my age with it. In my my kids' age group, it's one in every 22 boys, wow. according to CDC. One in every 34 kids. Oh, Tony Fauci's job is to figure out why that's happening. It it, it when EPA was told, Congress said to EPA, "Tell us what year the autism epidemic began." The EPA scientists came back and they said, "1989. It's a red line." Mm. And so Tony Fauci's got a pretty easy job. He has to figure out a, an exposure, a chemical exposure, or some other exposure that happened beginning in 1989 that, that affected every demographic group, at, from Cubans in Key Biscayne to Inuit in Homer, Alaska, everybody in between, and that um, you know that affected boys at a four to one ratio to girls. There has to be a chemical that does that, so or some other exposure. Now there's a scientist called Phil Landrigan. He narrowed it down to eleven things. One, um, glyphosate, which is Roundup. Oh yeah, I'm a Roundup. Okay, so on you the need plants. something that suddenly exploded around 1989. Yeah. Um, it could be PFOAs, which are flame retardants, which became ubiquitous around that same time. It could be cell phones. It could be ultrasound. It could be neonicotinoid pesticides. It could be corn syrup. Mm. 
there's a limited number of things it can be. Right. Right? And it's an easy thing to do the science to figure out which one it is. And we haven't done it. And Tony Fauci hasn't done it, but all of these neurodevelopmental, autoimmune, and um, and allergic diseases that suddenly exploded in 1989 are businesses. All of them are also listed as side effects of vaccine on the manufacturer's insert of the 72 vaccine. We went, I was a kid, I got three vaccines, my kids got 72 vaccines, and it changed in 89. Vaccines have to be on that list for a whole lot, and there's a lot of science that says that's what's causing it, including 1999 CDC study called the first Stratton study that they never released. We got a hold of it. They looked at the biggest database in the country, the vaccine safety data link. They looked at kids who got the hepatitis B vaccine during the first 30 days and compared it to kids who did not get it or got it after 30 days. And here's what they found. The kids who got it had an 1,135% greater chance of getting an autism autism diagnosis than kids who did not. And that is pretty strong evidence. What do you think is a solution then to kind of where we're at now? You feel like Anthony Fauci shouldn't be in his space? No, he should should be in prison. Um, But the solution is really with all of us, we need to resist. We need, you know, nobody ever complied their way out of totalitarian rule. We've seen our Bill of Rights obliterated. We're seeing a level of totalitarianism that is unprecedented in, you know, but it's not just America. It's across all the liberal democracies in the world. And all the powers these governments have accumulated over the last to tell you to not do your business, to not go to church, to stay in your house, to put on a mask, to do what you're told— there's no government in history that has ever relinquished power once it got it mm. without a demand. Uh, we need to start demanding that our government, uh, uh, that we're not going to comply anymore. And all of us have to, what I tell people is you need to do three civil disobedience a day. And that could be just talking to your neighbor and educating them. It could be telling somebody in your local store who has a, don't come in if you don't have a mass sign. I'm not going to shop here anymore. And um, it could be, uh, you know, it it could be buying my book and giving it to somebody who doesn't. And I don't get any money off that book. It all goes to Children's Health Defense. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow, man. That's awesome. Yeah. It all goes to fund our litigation. And um, so, uh, but, uh, you know, people need to start resisting. We need to start reclaiming our rights. Look, there was a, we need to start loving our freedom more than we fear a germ. Mm. And there was a whole um, generation of Americans who lived in 1776 who said there's worse things than dying and living without these liberties is worse than death. Yeah. And thanks to them, we have the Bill of Rights. They put their livelihood, their property, and their lives on the line so that we could have these rights. And in 20 months, we've given them away. We need to get them back. Oh, look, man, you, you know, you're a friend and I've long appreciated your, uh, you know, you're taking care of the environment and looking out for the environment outside of us and, and now inside of our bodies, man. I know it's important to you. And, and uh, I, I enjoyed the book, man, The Real Anthony Fauci uh, by Robert Kennedy Jr. You guys check it out. Um, it's it's I mean, it's a, it's a interesting read, man. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Now I'm just floating on the breeze and 
gentlemen, I'm Jonathan Kite, and welcome to Kite Club, a podcast where I'll be sharing thoughts on things like current events, stand-up stories, and seven ways to pleasure your partner. The answer may shock you. Sometimes I'll interview my friends. Sometimes I won't. And as always, I'll be joined by the voices in my head. You have three new voice messages. A lot of people are talking about Kite Club. I've been talking about Kite Club for so long, longer than anybody else. So great. Hey, sweetheart, here's the deal. Anyone who doesn't listen to Kite Club is a dodgy bloody wanker. Do you know what I mean? Hi, I'll take a quarter pounder with cheese and a McFlurry. Sorry, sir, but our ice cream machine is broken. I think Tom Hanks just butt-dialed me. Anyway, first rule of Kite Club is tell everyone about Kite Club. Second rule of Kite Club is tell everyone about Kite Club. Third rule. Like and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts or watch us on YouTube, yeah? And yes, don't worry, my Brad Pitt impression will get better.